Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Very excited to be here. We have Michael McKeon. Is it McKeon? Am I spelling, am I saying it correctly? Okay, I just want to make sure. I uh, always ask people before we start recording, make sure I don't butcher their name, but glad I got it this time. How's it going? Good, very good. Well, Michael and I met through YPO in an organization that I've been part of for a couple of years and has been really life-changing for me. and meeting amazing entrepreneurs and business leaders. Uh, but yeah, before you know, before we jump into the, the meat of it, I would love to learn more about your, for our audiences, I've already learned about your background, but yeah, a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. Sure. So I started life as a software engineer and I founded my first company in 2004. It's called Nolan, K-N-O-W-L-A-N-D. And we collect data on the meetings and events industry. Uh, so our clients are primarily sort of the group sales departments and people involved in meetings and events in the hotel industry. Um, that company grew really, really super fast. And in 2012 or 2013, I sort of sold half and, and gave up control to a great private equity shop out of San Francisco called Saren Capital. And they've really been running it since then. I'm still a you know a large shareholder, and I'm on the board of directors. And you know I stepped down after that transaction, and I started working on a couple things. My current company, which I started working on, uh, really started coming up with the idea in 2016. It's called Retail Sphere, and we track data on the retail commercial real estate industry. So we sort of have boiled the ocean of all of the retail tenants and retail landlords in the United States. Um, there's about 5 million of them, a little bit more, about 120,000 shopping centers, um, and it's trillions of dollars. It's a very, very large vertical market. Our information is used for lots of things, but it primarily is used to help fill vacancies. So we have information on about 450,000 human beings that are involved in retail commercial real estate decision making. So these are site selectors, vice presidents of real estate, commercial real estate brokers, uh, very large industry. Folks that are in this industry have been doing it their whole lives. The people are fantastic. Um, they're entertaining. They're smart. They're engaging. They are quite successful. People in commercial real estate, as I'm sure everybody who's listening to this probably knows, they do well. And so it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. More recently and excitingly, we have added really powerful, full-blown email marketing and CRM to our platform. And it's proved to sort of be a game changer. So now not only do our clients very quickly and easily find, you know, and can build collections of folks they want to potentially do deal with, you know, whether that's, you know, if you're a broker looking to do find new clients for landlord rep work or tenant rep work, 
you know, we have tens of thousands, basically everybody in our database. You can quickly build a collection of folks that you want to kind of reach out to and develop and nurture relationships with. And then you can quickly add them into sort of multi-step automated email campaigns. And, and you can actually put other steps in these campaigns. You can put telephone calls, text messages, LinkedIn messages, and it really sort of empowers our users to, you know, 100x their deal flow. Um, and it's exciting, candidly. It's really exciting because we have, you know, one of the reasons I like to do software products that are just used by one industry or one vertical, vertical SaaS is what it's referred to as. And the exciting part about it is as, you know, as people start to kind of realize that your stuff is exciting and good and works, they start telling their friends. And uh, and that's kind of where we are with retail sphere. We're early days in it, but something similar happened in my last business, Nolan. You know, Nolan took off like a rocket ship. You know, we went from sixty to six hundred accounts in about a year. Um, I got awarded the num. We Nolan got awarded uh, the fastest growing business in the Deloitte Fast Fifty Technology Company Award Ceremony contest. I don't really remember all of it in 2011, because the five years prior to that, we had 5,763% growth. And it was all organic. It was it was a bootstrapped company. I grew it in the early days with debt. And then it just it just sort of took off. You know, and, and the reason it did is because back then we had a product that our clients could use to book more business. And I think we're sort of at the same place with retail sphere today. You know, we have some great clients that are logging in all the time and are really using it, really using it successfully. And it's fun. It's fun, right? Like our, our client success and our onboarding and our training folks really sort of get energized when they, they're working with folks that get it and get excited about it. So it's fun. So, so that's, that, yeah. That, thank you for the, for the description. I mean, I, I know we spoke a little bit uh, before, so I have a pretty good understanding, but it's good for our audiences to understand. And who is your target market? Like who is using this button? Yeah, no, great question. So so retail sphere, when we sort of did the analysis before we launched the company, has sort of six sectors that it could sell into. And two of them are beachhead, or the first ones we went after. And so those are retail commercial real estate brokers. So these are commercial real estate brokers. They work for big companies like JLL and CBRE and Cushman and Wakefield. You know, even if you're not in commercial real estate, you've seen their signs all over the place. So you're probably familiar with the brands. And then also the landlords. So these are the owner, developer, manager, asset managers of shopping centers. And they typically will have a leasing team that is sort of in a marketing team that is sort of tasked with... Uh, either filling current vacancies or perhaps proactively building relationships with the potential tenants for future vacancies. The, the good ones are sort of in a constant process of analyzing and making decisions and sort of pruning the, the tenant mix in their shopping centers. Shopping centers in and of themselves are sort of platform businesses, and they want to kind of get, you know, tenants and stores that work well together in a shopping center. And it sort of benefits all of the other tenants and the consumers and the trade area and you know everybody in the community. Uh, so those are sort of our, our two main audiences now. More recently, we've started to sign up some economic 
development corporations. So, you know, there's about 5,000 of these in the United States. Um, and these are cities and towns, municipalities, counties. And they use our stuff to kind of help, you know, sometimes with more like downtown areas, sometimes referred to as street retail. But yeah. And so we, I know you and I spoke before, but one of the things that we discussed was like, what since the launch, or I guess the proliferation of Amazon in let's say yeah. 15 years ago, what has sure. been the change in retail shopping centers? I mean, we definitely have seen a change. So what's been the change in the last 10 to 15 years? Well, it's it's worth noting that pretty much, I'm pretty sure every year over the last 20 years, sort of since the advent of, of online retail, right? And mass, you know, Amazon and 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 others. The United States has actually been a net adder of square footage that is retail. And, and candidly, it's one of the reasons I was excited about this space. There's been an amazing amount of innovation, right? So, you know, people used to say it's the retail apocalypse or the Amazon effect. And there's been changes, but there hasn't been a massive, you know, the line I like to say is there hasn't been like a massive plowing under of America's shopping centers to make way for pickleball courts, for example, right? Like, so so what we've seen, certainly with the better, you know, managers and owners of shopping centers and retail spaces um, is some really exciting innovation. So, you know, sometimes it's called, you know, placemaking. You see it in different concepts. So there's been, you know, a plethora of new fitness and studio brands that have been successful over the last 10, 15 years. You've seen a lot of like, mom and and you know kids and 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 daycare and, and and child type of brands you see it in what the industry refers to as med tail so there's a great deal of medical that candidly would have used to go into sort of class d office space that's now going into shopping centers quite successfully and it makes it easier for everyone so you so what what you've seen is innovation right and and that's one of the the value props of 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 retail sphere since we boil the ocean and we have all of the retail concepts, but excitingly, any retail concept that's gone from three or four or five units to 60 units, that's the exciting stuff, right? And so if you have a center, let's say in Portland, Oregon, maybe you want to be the first location of sort of a cool coffee that has 32 branches in Northern California, and you want to be the first one to, to have one in your center in, um, you know, in, in Portland. Uh, so we track all that, right? Like we, we actually have a concept we call locally famous. We have a concept we call, you know, neighborhood focus. We have all of these ways that sort of identify sort of the stuff that drives footfall and excitement within a trade area or a community for these new concepts. Right. That's true. There has been a lot of innovation in retail. So there's a lot more like nail salons or coffee shops or like jujitsu, you know, um, like studios that basically like more active things versus just like passive, right? That's kind of been the, the big change. And have you seen also a change or whether that's positive or negative or, you know, whichever direction since COVID has that made a big impact on retail? 
Well, um, so I don't know necessarily that it was driven by COVID, right? So, so the retail industry, you know, just like every industry, faced issues during COVID. I think what we've seen more recently, and and I don't, the jury's still out a little bit on this, and it is probably more related to you know the rises in in interest rates. Um, is we've seen it appears that you know in the last few quarters. There's been an uptick in some of the junior anchor tenants having problems. So, you know, going dark, can't closing, right? Going into bankruptcy or receivership. So these, and candidly, these are mostly, you know, physical retail brands. So these are folks that are selling stuff. And those are sort of the things, to, an earlier, to your earlier point about sort of active versus passive, right? So in, in the retail industry, sometimes they would refer to active as like experiential, right? So. Uh, so yeah, there's still there's still a lot of legacy brands out there that were sort of designed for these these junior anchor spaces, 15, 20, 25,000 square feet, you know, the, the Toys R Uses of the world. Right. I don't know the last time you walked into a Staples or an Office Depot, but it can be reasonably depressing. Um, you know, those spaces, they probably candidly the highest and best use of that of that, you know, built infrastructure is probably not selling, you know, uh paper and printers. Right. So there's still some changing that needs to occur. We certainly have some clients that we've been talking to about, you know, how do I fill this 12 or 15,000 square foot box? Do I divide it up into like six different tenants? I kind of don't want to. Is there anything else? You know, we, I was just speaking to someone earlier today about a pickleball concept where, you know, they took over 30,000 square feet you know, I, I think it it may yet to be seen whether picking up pickleball can can generate the revenue to cover the occupancy costs on, on a space like that, at least in a, in a you know, in a, in a tier one center, if you will. But 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 what I would say is that the people in this in this space are, I don't know, they're, they're fun, they're cool, they're they're interesting and and they've been successful, right? Like. There's been a lot more successes in retail commercial real estate over the last 20 years than the opposite. Um, and and candidly, that was part of the, the thesis on this business, right? Like we actually are designed to sort of highlight and bubble up those successes so that our users can quickly find those types of business and sort of come up with ideas on what would work for them, right? The idea is people shouldn't work in silos, right? There could be concepts that are doing super well in New England that would do well in South Carolina, but they just hadn't heard of them yet. But yeah, in Denver, we, well, we had closed down, so maybe the concept was not that great. But where I live, there used to be this place called the Denver Bike Cafe. So it was like, it was like a coffee shop. And then on the other side of the coffee shop was a bike, like fixing repair thing. So interesting concept, you know, <laughs> ride their bikes to the coffee shop and do work there. And then they bring their bike and maybe it needs to like a little tune up or something. So ended up closing down, unfortunately, but I think the concept is still kind of interesting. Maybe like, yeah, maybe some sort of merging of concepts. There was so the kind you're kind of talking about like mashups sometimes. Yeah, well, that's yeah, not silos, right, but mashups. <laughs> there, there's there one of the guys who works for us who heads our sales lives in is from DC. And he likes to reference, I'm going to get this half wrong, but there is a mashup between a, a streetwear brand. So like, you know, think like sneakers and such and a sushi cafe and super successful. 
is my understanding. And the entrepreneur who founded that has, you know, half a dozen to a dozen other locations. I, I probably should know more about who that is, but it's been a while since it's it's been on my radar. But I've always that always comes to mind when I think of bash ups. Streetwear and sushi. Who would have guessed? Would have not guessed. I don't even yeah. understand conceptually what that looks like. Maybe I need to Google it and find out. DC. But it but one of the things if you think about it, and perhaps your example in Denver, a lot of these people, they really know their market, right? Like like the people that are successful in doing this, these innovative retailers that are doing interesting stuff, it's like they know the consumers in their trade areas. You know what I mean? It's like they get it. And and by definition, if you're if you're a retailer, so if you're a retailer that has one or two units, maybe you don't. But if you're going from three to six units or you're at seven units, by, by definition, you've been successful. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it, right? right? You've been successful in opening new units multiple times, right? Those are the people that you want to sort of find, the landlords and, and the people in the space. You know, they, they want to identify those folks and nurture them and bring them into their centers, right? I was talking to a friend who invests in restaurants last night. And, you know, we commented about this one restaurant chain, restaurant group um, in Utah, where I live, and in Park City. And uh, and I think they probably have like 13 locations at this point. Maybe I'm off. Maybe it's like seven. But a generation ago, he'd probably have at, a, at most half of that. Because what's happening is the landlords who have these vacancies or they're having to fill space, they're being aggressive. They're going after those folks. And they're, they're, they're sort of wooing them into their spaces. Which is good, which is good for everybody. Right. So we talked a little bit about retail, but and offline, you and I were discussing what has COVID done to office space. So what are your thoughts on that? And where do you think that industry is going? Yeah. So yeah, then that was an interesting conversation. So um so office commercial real estate is struggling. Uh everybody, it, you know, it's it's as plain as day. If you visited any major downtown area of major cities in the United States, and I was recent, recently in downtown Washington, D.C., you know, it's a ghost town, right? Like lunchtime in the middle of the week, it's a ghost town. And and candidly, some of the first victims have been the street retail in those downtown areas. When I was in D.C., you know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was wildly more, you know, for lease signs in retail windows then there were actually active businesses. And the active businesses, candidly, didn't have a lot of people inside them. Interestingly, the only area that was sort of crowded and the hotel that I was staying actually was across the street from this area. And it was filled. Like, I couldn't even change my room. Uh, is the convention center. So the area around the convention center in D.C. was packed because there was people gathering for a convention. But yeah, so so office retail, or sorry, office real estate, commercial real estate, is is going to face a reckoning. Um, it certainly seems that way. And what I I like, my sort of thesis on this is that retail as an industry, retail commercial real estate, sort of face this reckoning of what the new economy is going to do for their industry twenty years ago, right? Like. Retail was forced to change and innovate and come up with new things starting in the early 2000s. Uh, office is just starting that process. Right. Uh, office is wildly bigger than retail as far as like number of dollars, right? The, the amount of dollars that are in the built office commercial real estate in the United States 
is massive. It's absolutely massive. Levels of magnitude bigger than retail. And, and space. I'm assuming space, like square footage as well, right? The square footage 100%. of office versus square footage of, of retail. Anything else, right? Yeah, it's... And, and of course, most of that that office is in, in prime real estate, right? So it's yeah. worth that, right? And of course, you know, I'm I'm not an engineer, an architect, or a builder, or a developer, but it sure seems that the you know the layout of an office building doesn't lend itself to be converted to other uses, right? They're usually boxes. So whereas you know, condo buildings, apartment buildings tend to be more like rectangles, thinner because you want more windows. The office buildings tend to have like one centrally located place for bathrooms. I mean, how do you divide up a, a 60 story, you know, millions of square foot office space in downtown DC into condos? Um, sorry, downtown New York into condos. Seems seems challenging. Certainly seems challenging. Um, not an expert in it. But there'll be innovation. I think, you know, things will happen. The people in, in commercial real estate um are extremely smart and capable. And um so I, I think that. You know, the office commercial real estate landscape 10 years from now will look very different from it does today. Very much the sh like the shopping center landscape has changed and continues to change and evolve. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. What What are some of your predictions for office? Like, where do you think? So, it could so be to be honest with you, I, I, you know, I know, no, I know enough not to, to know what I don't, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say what I don't know. I will say this. I met with a good buddy of mine. His name's Andy O'Brien. I'll give him, give him a shout out. He's the JLL, Jones Lang LaSalle, office commercial real estate broker in DC. He actually sort of was the special specialist in, in DC tech businesses and building out sort of the hipster spaces with, with hooks for your mountain bikes and stuff back, you know, for the last 20 years. Um, and he actually, so I, I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago, and he actually pointed out some interesting concepts that's innovation that some folks are doing in office, right? One of the, the buzzwords he said, and I don't really understand what this means, he called it hospitality infused office. Um, they're dividing, you know, there are some office landlords that are dividing up larger blocks into smaller spaces and sort of putting more amenities in there so you can get smaller type of tenants with lots of meeting space. You know, clearly one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be less concentration of people in an office 40 hours a week, but perhaps people will need to gather and have like Zoom rooms. And I think the the makeup of most office space will be, you know, moving away from, you know, cubicles and towards, you know, conference rooms or phone booths, you know, folks where people can do Zooms, like kind of like we are now, right? Uh, but I don't know the answer. To be honest, I think it's too it's too early. It's I think it's too early. Anybody who's making predictions about what's going to happen to office in the next five or ten years, you know, that's sort of a dangerous game. It's just oh yeah, maybe not predictions, but more just like where just more like brainstorming ideas and how we can repurpose this space. I mean, I don't I don't I'm not definitely not an expert of that too. There have been so many different like. I don't know, not predictions, I would say like uses, like, I don't know, some people were talking about like using that as like a, a Greek, you know, like a, like a vertical farm, right? Like, or you can, yeah. like next to them, because there's, you know, so much window space on the exteriors, right? Like you could use that as potentially like, I don't know, a vertical farm. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of issues with that because like, you know, because you need like reinforced uh, floors and things like that because of like water and, and 
the earth and everything. So, but I don't know, it's just interesting to kind of consider what the industry is going to look like and where are some of these buildings going to be repurposed for. I know. What, and I, I will say, I will say this on, on, on that idea. The size of the problem is so potentially large that I don't think there's any bad ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like the more innovative or stranger out there, the better if someone could make it work. Yeah. I mean, it has been done that some of these these buildings were repurposed into condos or like apartment style living. I remember I used to live in Chicago and I visited a friend of mine and it was like one of those like old timey, like small, originally it was like this small office like building. So like on each floor, there would be be like six offices, you know, with like a door, you know, and like it would just be like a hallway with six doors. But it was repurposed into condos where like each office was then made into a um an, an apartment, you know. So, I mean, it is possible. But yes, it is. I think the way maybe the way they were built in the old timey way, like there was a bathroom in each unit. I mean, yeah, now usually each floor has like their own one bathroom for the whole entire floor. So that could be more problematic because then you're like, OK, I have to build, you know, six bathrooms instead of one. Right. So there's a lot of plumbing and and reconstruction that and and redevelopment you're going to have to do so it is huge there's so much office space i don't know if uh these big companies are coming back to the office even though they are being like told to return to the office but there's there seems like there's a lot of you know contentious uh issues going on between the employers and these big big companies so i don't know i guess it's tbd yeah i think that's right you know, the return to work certainly seems to have stalled in the in the last quarter or two, um, and uh, maybe that's the answer, right? Maybe maybe we do go back to where we were pre pre pandemic. Um, I seem to I seem to think that that's unlikely, but I think so too. I think that we're here to stay. Well, this is a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and for providing your I mean brainstorming <laughs> insights and and sharing about about your company. So last question is, how can our audiences get in touch with you or your organization? Sure. So retailsphere.com. So just like it sounds, we have a website. We'd love to hear from them. We have a form they can fill in or they can phone us. We are on LinkedIn as well, but uh, would 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 love to hear from them. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really nice to to have you on and, and share more about you know the, the retail industry. And yeah, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate it as well.